last week on the 70s weekly countdown with Mark and Pete. Oh, yeah. Old coop. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and you said, well, that's Jeff Bridges. And I said, who's Jeff Bridges? <laughs> yeah. I, I know nothing about her. Yeah. Where's, where's up with people? <laughs> yeah. Where's, where's uh, Vicky Carr's album? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what I thought was interesting and and maybe sad, uh, I don't know if this is you failed phys ed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was an awkward teen. I weighed, I was like six feet tall, uh, one hundred and thirty five pounds when I started high school. <laughs> I'm probably about the same. Yeah, you know, I'm an Eagle Scout. You are. Yeah. Wow, that's a that's an achievement. It's it's still on my resume. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be in my obituary. <laughs> well, wow. Well, that just took the air out of the room. What'll be in mind? Do you like the word Johnson? <laughs> Rolling sounds like something you'd put on as a balm. <laughs> yeah, you know? it does. Uh, I, I, I got these aches and pains. Well, use some rolling. <laughs> and. My buddy Jaime always said, when when the knack puts out a box set, they should call it knack in the box. <laughs> yeah. So I just saw something that Steve Perry is suing Neil Sean over copyright uh, issues on the Journey stuff. We'll, we'll see how nice. that plays out. That's that's what that's what Neil Sean's gonna say. Nah, nah. Yeah, nah, nah. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> so that sounded like Michael Jackson right there, <laughs> because Michael Jackson and they were didn't they go to like the Grammys together with Bubbles? Did you get all your uh, your wardrobe from GQ back in the day? <laughs> you saw how I dressed in college. <laughs> I, I dressed saw how you dressed today. In yeah, the last thirty five years. But in college, I dressed like. Rory Gallagher. <laughs> there was a guy in there named Jim Soul, and we used to sing and say, oh, if you lose, the devil gets Jim Soul. <laughs> I bet he loved that. Yeah. Where's Tito and Randy and Jermaine and the rest? I still don't know. <laughs> Professor Marion. Again, and welcome to the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete, a show where two friends review a randomly chosen American Top 40 episode from the 1970s, the most interesting decade in pop music. My name is Mark Roback, and with me is my friend and co-host, Peter Gardo. Hello, Peter. What's happening? So, today, we're going to have a concert review. Eh? So the concert review is from a concert from last Thursday. My sister and I went down to see the B-52s at one of the casinos. And um, and we'll get into the opening act in a little bit. But I want to talk a little bit about the B-52s. And uh, oh my gosh, we get there and there's no signage, okay? Unless you're a habitual gambler, you have no idea where to go. 
All right? Yeah. It was it was ridiculous. And um, but we had dinner. It's pretty good. Went to the Scorpion Bar, which you think would be like Chinese stuff, but it was Mexican stuff. I had a burrito. It was good. And so we got to the theater, which is in the other building of, of the casino. And oh, and I'm playing right now Quiche Lorraine. Okay. Right, from the I was going to ask that. <laughs> this, is, this is from the B-52's uh, second uh, LP, uh, Wild Planet. And they did not play Quiche Lorraine, but it's one of my favorite songs that the B-52s did. Oh, and it also lines up with our friends over at the Deep Purple Podcast, right? Well, yeah, that's right. Long running. So, <laughs> so, so, so we, we get to the doors of the, of the, the theater and taking uh, tickets off of phones is something new to me. And the, and the woman said, turn it upside down. It's easier for me. I'm like, all right, where's a paper ticket? Yeah. So we get in there. We finally found the theater. We get in there, and then our tickets were mezzanine left. So we go to the left, okay? Because you think that's where you go. And you sure. get there, and they say, "Oh no, you have to go to the other side, right, to go up the escalator to get to left." And then we walk by this little sign that's hidden that says mezzanine. It was it was terrible. So we got there, and um, I'd been to the, that show with my family. We saw. Um, Mama Mia that. And uh, what was kind of cool was <clears throat> at the concert at 819, 901, 935, and 1005, my Apple Watch said loud environment. All right. <laughs> so, and I get that when I'm cutting the grass sometimes. All right. <laughs> and um, I tell you, they sounded great. Um, uh, you know, Fred Schneider, who's singing right here. He looks like Jim Boheim from Syracuse University. Okay. All right. He's, yeah. he's, he's, he's probably 71 years old. You know, I think Jim Boheim's a little older, but it, I, all I could see was, you know, this old dude doing stuff that I love. Okay? Yeah. And the great, the band was great. And, and the, and the ladies, Kate Pearson and Cindy Wilson, they sounded like they've always sounded. Oh my gosh. They could harmonize. They could do the solos. They could do all their stuff. It, it, it was fantastic. And this is supposedly their farewell tour. The band, dark band, and uh, the, um, uh, you hear that guitar right there? You know, it was like a surf guitar. Um, but they didn't use most right guitars that the, that the Ventures did that you would see on the back of the record. So Fred does Sprechgesang, which means spoken singing. Other people that do that, are Bob Dylan, Lou Reed, um, and um, and other folks. So that's spoken singing, but it's not Spreshin Team, which Frank Zappa does um, on on records like uh, The Man from Utopia, where he does the Dat Jazz Discords party hats. So something I'm sure you're very uh, familiar with. So uh, <laughs> yeah. So so that was the B52s. B52s were great, but. The opening act. The opening act is in the wheelhouse of this podcast. You know who this is. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, our friend uh, Harry Wayne Casey and his uh, Sunshine Band. That's right? right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, great band. Two singers, two dancers, Casey in the middle. Two keyboards on either side, a bass and a guitar player. 
uh, kind of in between drummer and a, and a percussionist. Yeah. And it sounded fantastic. And Casey says that that he was 71 years old, like Fred. Okay? Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, you can see I've gained a little weight. I'm, we're thinking of changing the name of the band to KFC and the Sunshine Band. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, I'm great friends with Marie Osmond. He says, I'm going to go on her diet so I can get down to my original weight of seven pounds, eight ounces. <laughs> so he was great. The band was great. He sounded great. And he looks like my cousin Stevie today, okay? <laughs> Which is a little overweight and he's got a goatee. And love you, Stevie. And, um, you know, the band. So so Casey, when he's playing behind the keyboard, because he doesn't play the keyboard, he's got his feet going in this. If those of you watching on Channel 18, going around, and the guitar players and the, the um, uh, keyboard players doing the same. It, it, it was fantastic. Hmm. And, um, oh my gosh, it was, it was, it was so good. Casey and the Sunshine Band. Now I don't, I might not, not have to go on that uh, ultimate disco cruise. Mm. But I, we saw that commercial, I think, watching Mannix this week. Okay. <laughs> and, um, you know, Sister Sledge is going to be there, and Casey, and and Tavares and all these other folks, but I don't want to be on a, on a cruise ship, you know? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, so it's interesting. I, uh, one of the couples I played trivia with on Tuesday nights, the Ballards, they also saw, uh, Casey and the Sunshine band in the B-52s at different venue, I think up in uh, Massachusetts, they said. Okay. Uh, and uh, almost the same exact comments you said, uh, you know, how Casey was, you know, a little heavier and stuff, but the band sounded great and, and the whole show was great. So. Yeah. So speaking of the crowd, I'm looking at the people and I'm with my sister. You've met my sister. Yeah. And, you know, I looked around and I said to her, I said, are we the youngest people here or are all these people our age and they look really old? Yeah. Okay. And I think it's, I think it's that, you know, it was, yeah. it was you know, B-52s are right in our wheelhouse. You know, Casey the Sunshine Band is a little earlier because when they came out, you know, we were eight, 10 years old. Yeah. You know, 12 years old. So, um, yeah, but did it you, was a uh, good, good crowd. Did you get, you know, I always tell that story about how both when I went to the Deep Purple show uh, with you and uh, John from the Deep Purple podcast, and then when I went to see the Doobie Brothers in, in Texas, I got stuck behind someone in using a walker. a walker to go to the, <laughs> when I wanted to go to the bathroom. Just like all old people stuff. <laughs> well, did you ever see the picture that Nate took? I told him to take it when we were down in Florida seeing Deep Purple with with the, the line to the men's room for Deep Purple was out the door and there was nothing at the women's room. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and I also saw Carl Palmer, and I think I told you, and like at the end of this thing, he was like signing some merch and it was like the line for the men's room was way longer than the line for the <laughs> merch, unfortunately. Yeah. So. so that that's uh, the, the concert review. So that's, that's, that's in the news. And also, um, Ed K, where he used to work, talk okay. about it because he's been working with mike t but okay. uh, but the casey set list was shake your booty boogie shoes please don't go i'm your boogeyman keep it coming love a drum solo 
Um, give it up now. Give it up is from the '80s, of course. Uh, that's why I like it and get down tonight. Nice. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um. So yeah, I, what's going on with me? Not much. Beautiful day. Oh, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Beautiful day here. You know, today. I hope you got out. You, you got outside because you went to the plant, right? At least I, I I I went in, and I didn't get outside. I didn't even go out to the other building. Uh, and wow. when I came outside, I'm like, oh wow, it's beautiful. And he says, and then I got to go to my basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bummer that we're recording now. I I took a walk and I didn't drive. Did you drive? No, I okay. did not because I knew you'd yell at me. So I just walked <laughs> over to Elizabeth Park, which is about a, a par four away from here, and uh, took a walk. And uh, let's see, I, I saw where Saturday is National Pierogi Day. That's exciting. <laughs> and. Uh, couple other things i talked to my friend uh zabig in florida and just to see that he was okay and he he survived the storm he's uh east of tampa but he said only only uh minor damage and he's uh he didn't know about the podcast so i told him about it and hopefully he's uh gonna become a listener and then yeah you mentioned mike t so i'm gonna be playing golf on him with saturday as a last minute fill in for a golf tournament. So it's going to be cold, but uh, I got to get out of my apartment complex early because the big city that is the next town over from me, they're having their marathon. marathon. And they How come you're not running in it? Well, <laughs> are you the Iron Man? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Plastic man, but uh <laughs> Yeah, but it they shut down the street in front of my apartment complex. So I, oh my gosh! I gotta get out of here. Just go over <laughs> to sleep at your brother's house. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so that's what's going on with me. Um, that sounds like a good plan. And um, is is Mike a good golfer? I've never. I, I might have golfed with him, you know, decades ago. Mike is. He doesn't play often, but he's he's a good golfer. Not not. Not, I would say great, but well, a lot better than me though. <laughs> but the thing, here's, here's the key. When you go play golf, you want to play golf with people that you want to be around. There's oh, nothing yeah. worse than playing with people that you're like, get me out of here. Yeah. And he's yeah. a good guy. So, yeah. 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 Uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, right. uh, so speaking of good guys, uh, Pete and I have been friends for 30 plus years, met in college and then ended up working together for a long time. So in each of these episodes, we'll review all 40 songs in the chosen week's countdown and provide some factual information on each song, as well as our personal opinions, stories and comments related to it. At the end of the episode, we'll provide our individual choices for the best and worst song, a song that we think will torture the other guy that we've labeled the agonizer and we'll give our individual a plus through f grade for the entire countdown since nobody has the exact same taste in music our opinions on individual songs may be controversial but we otherwise intend to keep the conversation light humorous and hopefully entertaining remember this is just a discussion not a competition so please no wagering all you casino folks that know how to get to the concerts down there <laughs> it's for you yeah. Well, I, today, today is episode number 23 of the 70s Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete. And it's the American Top 40 from the week ending October 14th, 1972. And this episode is named Baby Don't Get Hooked on My Dingaling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so with that, uh, what were you doing around the uh, middle of October 1972? Well, I, I pulled up my father's date book mm -hmm. and um, 
On that day, October 14th, it said Newgate IG 245. So that means the Indian guides that I was in at the time. So I was uh, just starting this. It was in my second month of the second grade. I was in Indian guides and we went over to Old Newgate Prison and we went to see the ruins and we probably were able to go down the down into the uh, prison. So uh, maybe put uh, a link into Newgate Prison or the Wikipedia or something. So it was an old copper mine that turned mm -hmm. into a prison during the Revolutionary War to put the the, the Tories in and the captured uh, Hessians and English, I guess. And then it actually turned into the state prison for the state that we live in mm. until they built the new state prison about two miles from me here where I am. Yeah. And, uh, and so uh, so I, I did that. All right. Yeah. And so you ever been there? I I have, and also I just like maybe today saw a commercial where they said I'll oh, come visit it for Halloween, and they got it like decked out in jack o' lanterns. I guess. Oh yeah, it, it's a, it's one of these typical places that that say that it's haunted and all this other oh, kind yeah. of stuff. Because yeah. of course, folks, you know, didn't survive yeah. prison and, and and such. But yeah. I ha I haven't been in a long time, and when my sister from the West Coast came out with her son, probably eight nine years ago. She said, "Well, let's go there." And I says, "Well, it's being it was either it was closed because of the governor at the time, or they were doing some renovations." Mm. So, um, if if you recall, <clears throat> on the interstate on the way up, they they had the sign and then they blocked it out. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So I haven't been there. Yeah, should probably go back. Yeah, in fact, I, I for some reason too, I was talking to uh, Gail's brother about it recently too, and we were saying I I went there when I was like a teenager, and so did he, and and we were both saying <laughs> that was enough for us going down in that mine. We were both kind of tall kids, and just like yeah, yeah I don't want to experience this again. Yeah, I, I I'd have to look at the photograph of the uh, of the door jam that I took from the house because I probably could. You know, that's the other thing. I should look at that photograph and tell you how tall I was at the uh, <laughs> at these dates. <laughs> oh, yeah. Why? Do you have photographs from like every year or something? Or, no, no, no. Uh, because all the, so there's a door jam in the, uh, in the front bedroom in, in the house. And when we sold the house, we didn't take the door door jam with us. But I took a picture of it. And, and my sister, actually, we got a, like a piece of paper. Uh, and we, we kind of recreated it. Yeah, so, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, like like my father's date book occasionally has his weight. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I was thinking of. It's like, oh, there are there actual pictures or <laughs> well, I, I took a picture of the door jam. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh on on October Monday, October 16th, and you'll like this, Athenson, 10 a.m. Ah. G Fox. Ah. So so uh George Athenson. Mm -hmm. he, was a, uh, he was a Greek uh, guy, right? He was a leader for the people. If you remember leader his campaign the, slogan, yeah. leader for the people. So <laughs> yeah. he was he was the the mayor of the big city at this time. And for some reason, my father went to see George Athenson at ten o'clock at G Fox on Monday the the sixteenth. Mm. Now George Athenson was was mayor from April twelfth, nineteen seventy one, to December first, nineteen eighty one, and he was the deputy mayor when he took over because. And Ucello, the last uh, GOP mayor of the big city, she went to get a job with the U.S. Department of Transportation at the time. She just passed away a couple, a couple few years ago. Yeah, and they um, they they renamed uh, Ann Street and Ucello Street yeah. after yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, but she was she was like one of the first women mayors of of in the Northeast or New England, and she was a trailblazer 
Mm. So I got one more for you. The day, yeah. day before, Friday, October 13th. Ooh, Friday the 13th. Yeah. Gary, remember we talked about this? It says trans 12. Remember my, my, yeah. my father's day book? He had yeah. trans. Yeah. <laughs> so that was when he was, that's when he was on the tr that transportation board. Ah, so, okay. okay. All right. Very good. Yeah. So what, what were you up to in October um, 1972? So I, I didn't really have anything specific for me, but if you're watching on Channel 18, I have Gail's spy pad. Ah, from it's orange. It's, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, reddish orange, I'd say. 29 cents was the price. And uh, I looked through it. So it's, it's, I think I told you, Gail was, you know, a few years older than me. So at this point, we, we she would have been like almost twice my age in 1972. <laughs> she always used to joke. She goes, I, I can't imagine if like in high school, someone pointed to the, some little kid and goes, that's going to be your husband in the future. But, uh, oh, wow. But yeah. uh, anyway, uh, so just, I, I did find like the actual date of this and and this was interesting she 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 was getting kind of um philosophical at this point she was talking about uh them and i'm assuming this was the the state uh changing the legal age of adulthood term for the age of majority from 21 to 18 and i looked it up and that happened on october 1st 1972 and she said how she was kind of scared of it because it seemed like they were forcing kids to grow up too fast. And um, I think this no, was... No, that was able so, so they could they could send them to Vietnam. Yeah, with, yeah. So this... And give them the right to vote. Right. So this was in response to the 26th Amendment, which happened a year before, which changed the voting age from 21 to 18, just for that fact that they were drafting 18-year-olds. And they said, well, we're going to draft them you know, you, they should be able to vote. And that was, uh, um, became part of the constitution on July 5th, 1971. So, and, and our state was one of the first five to ratify that amendment actually. But uh, then the other thing I found that was sort of interesting, she talked about a new expensive girls clothing store opening called Weathervane. Um, oh yeah, Weathervane. Yeah. I remember it was actually DNL owned Weathervane. Yeah, yeah, and um, David Davidson Levinson out of New Britain. Yep, and um, they I was trying to find you know whatever happened to them and stuff. The, the only thing I found is that they they went bankrupt in 1998 after I guess kind of expanding too fast, and then they were they were bought out. Well, when I do the laundry here, mm -hmm. all right, I do still see things that say Weatherbank. Yeah, yeah, I think I came across some stuff too, cleaning out the house. And so. I, I actually have a shirt hanging up, not behind me here, but in the other room that said that says uh, Lutkins. Lutkins Limited. Lutkins Limited. Yeah, yeah, I remember that store. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, yeah, that was the brief uh, bit of news. So it, she wrote some other stuff in there I wouldn't get into, but just sort of interesting politics and things going on at the time. I don't think well, there'd be a national election in about four weeks. Yeah, that's exactly what she was talking about. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah. All right. So, um, well, we know there's going to be an election in four weeks, but what was happening right about this time, Mark? Yeah. So I guess we forgot to edit this down. So, uh, but it's fine. It just, it seems like there's a lot of uh, sports related stuff in here, but uh, on October 8th, Detroit Tiger pitcher Leon Legro and uh, Oakland A's shortstop 
Bert Campanaris were fined and suspended when Campanaris flung his bat at the mound after getting hit by a pitch. So I remember this because at some point, I think it might've been at the end of this year, they put, somebody put together like this filmed montage of, I don't know if it was just like bad, like violent stuff that happened in sports or whatever, but I remember the clip of him throwing the bat being in there and it was, in the background, Ray Charles was singing America the Beautiful. <laughs> so, that was kind of odd. So uh, then on October 13th, a uh, Uruguay to Chile plane crashed in the Indies Mountains, and uh, only 16 of the 45 people uh, in the plane were rescued, and they were rescued two months later. And that was the subject of a 1993 movie called Alive, based on a bo uh, book from 1974 called uh, Alive, the Story of the Andes Survivors. Um, that's a good movie and interesting book. I, I know that it happened, but I've never yeah, read it's, or it's, seen it's it. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting survival story and, and kind of uplifting, I think, in the end. Well, they yeah. survived. Yeah, yeah. And they survived uh, against incredible odds. Anyways, on October 15th, 17-year-old American prodigy Chris Everett wins the inaugural WTA Tour Championship. She was only 17. She was, she was not eligible for the prize money. And then on October 16th, Creedence Clearwater Revival breaks up. Then there was that whole thing with uh, John Fogarty later being sued, etc. I think we went into that a little bit before. On October 24th, Jackie Robinson, he passed away, uh, died, died of a heart attack, and he was only 53 years old. Remember, I got the chock full of nuts can to bring That's right. the things yeah. and had Jackie Robinson on it. Yep. And then uh, October 26th, Ringo Starr and singer Lulu appeared in non-speaking cameos on Monty Python's Flying Circus. I went and tried to find the episode, and I was unsuccessful. Who the heck is Lulu? Lulu is a British singer. Did you ever see Two Sir with Love? She you sang, no. she, she's, <laughs> you ever hear the song? She sang the song and she's in the movie singing the song. Yeah, sorry, Sid, Sidney Poitier plays a school teacher in, yeah. in England. Okay. Nah. <laughs> it's a good movie. I like okay. it. And then finally on October 26th, Igor Sikorsky, the uh, Russian-American aviation pioneer and helicopter builder, dies at the age of 83. You know? Oh, he's kind of a tech guy. So what was going on with tech? Uh, yes. Yeah. So, so uh, on October 26th, the Edwin Land introduced the first truly instant camera, the Polaroid SX-70 camera at an event in miami florida so why wouldn't he have done it in waltham massachusetts <laughs> where they're based yeah i don't know good question now was um was our was our good friend tom schultz there <laughs> from boston yeah. yeah i don't know he ended up uh, working for them later on actually yeah. when did he work uh, not too much later right not too much later yeah yeah, yeah. or maybe he was there he could have been there maybe he invented it well, that's why he wrote Don't Look Back, you know. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. What's What was the economy like in 1972? Quickly, so the unemployment rate was 4.3%. Not great. Inflation rate, 5.9%. Not great, but not too, too bad given the 70s. Today's dollar was worth about 14 cents back then. And the cost of a gallon of regular gas was 36 cents. That would be about $2.55 today. 
kind of a good price. Uh, um, does that match any of your uh, real-time data? So on the 16th, which is two days later, the 1964 Chevy wagon was filled up and it cost approximately 36.8 cents a gallon. And we've got, got 15.5 miles per gallon two days earlier on the next day, or what, what day was that? Oh, the day of this, of, of this episode, the 1970 VW square buck uh, was 39.1 cents a gallon. It got 23 miles per gallon. So in two days, it went up by, by you know, two, two to three cents. And the, the data says it was both uh, bought in the same town. So I, you know, did, did the, did the price of gas go down by, you know, two cents a gallon in two days? Um, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. There was somebody gouging. So uh, anything on TV? I kind of picked this listing. So this was from Thursday, October 12th, 1972. I picked this just because it lines up with our very last episode a little bit. On CBS, you had at eight, the Waltons uh, episodes, the typewriter. And then at nine, there's a movie, Marlowe, starring uh, James Garner, Carol O'Connor, and Bruce Lee. On ABC's, there's The Mod Squad. The title is Taps, Play It Louder. And then at nine, there's a show called The Delphi Bureau, which I never heard of. And then at 10, there's a show called Owen Marshall, Counselor at Law. And I've never I've heard, I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, because I've seen, you know, like watching Kojak or Hawaii Five O, you see people were on that. Ah, okay. Then uh, over on NBC, you had the Flip Wilson show on that E, and um, this was season three, episode five, and the guests were uh, Bill Russell, Jerry Stiller, Ian Mira, uh, Kenny Rankin, and Paul McCartney and Winks. So that's interesting. Uh, and of course, we lost Bill Russell uh, earlier this year on July thirty first at the age of 88 but then at 10 there's the dean martin. after after ironsides yep i yep forgot a, a, a quinn martin production a quinn right. martin production yes yeah, sorry i forgot that yeah ironside yep. was on at nine uh and it was uh down two roads was the episode but then at 10 there was the dean martin show and that was uh season eight episode five with uh hugh o'brien monty hall and ian murray so another person who showed up in our countdowns and they did a spoof of let's make a deal and it's interesting because when we went back to our episode 21 from september 29 1973 monty hall was on the flip wilson show and they did a spoof of let's make a deal on that show so every time he showed up on a variety show did they do a spoof of let's make a deal <laughs> so so make, let's make a deal was door number one door number two and door number three right right and to get there, you had to have like a paper clip in your pocket or something. Right? Yeah, yeah. You were dressed you. up in a costume. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that stuff with Carol. Right. Carol Merrill was the the you know hostess or the, the yeah. model. So yeah. so Tuesday at the plant, I said, you know, we were testing this this board, and I, and I said, will the real you know something or another please stand up? Ah. And the kid said to me. What do you what do you do? You know, this, <laughs> yeah. he's like 23 years old. Okay. Yeah. And he says to me, Wow, you're you're quoting from Eminem. Oh like, I said, what, the, what are you talking about? <laughs> Number one, what those those little cartoon candies? Yeah. And trust me, I know who the Eminem is, Martha Mathers and all that stuff. You know, yeah. it's not in my wheelhouse. He, pl he played the beaver. Yeah. 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 Uh, so yeah. <laughs> so he knew nothing about 
truth or consequences. And of course, the great Santucci did. All right. Sort of, sort of. He's like, well, I really don't remember that. All right. And then he said, well, you, you know, you got, you, you know, you have me as a great Santucci, but there was someone at the other plant that used to call him Father Guido Santucci. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I do remember that. (laughs) So I forget the associate that did that. So it was, it was, you know, if you're not having a laugh or two at work, then your job stinks. Yeah. I, what I always loved about, and I, I can't remember too many specifics, but the tell the truth was like that the people would like fake it when they, they were fake standing, standing up. up. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. like a, a last minute, you know, like, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's like the total fake out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I, I bet someone on the TikTok, okay, is doing that all the time, you know, and, and it was done by, wasn't Kitty Carlisle a panelist on that show? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I think we might have talked about her before a little bit, but no, uh, we talked about PJ Morgan. Yeah, JP Morgan. I thought Kitty Carlisle came up too. Yeah. Uh, so if you went to the Paris Theater, yeah, where my my wife was talking about how Aunt Elda picked them up at the house. So what was at the Paris Cinema at the time? If you didn't go over to the Rialto, yeah, uh, yeah. So a couple things on on October nineteenth, the way we were with uh, Barbara Streisand. Oh yeah, we've talked a lot about that. Robert yep. Redford, yep, yeah, yep. and uh, the the movie won two Oscars for the music, so that was a big music movie as well. Yeah. Uh, and then October twenty fourth, uh, Westworld, starring Yul Brenner, Richard Benjamin, Dick Van Patten, and James Brolin, who James Brolin later married Barbara Streisand in 1996. So a little bit of uh, interesting sort of coincidence there. And of course, they they redid Westworld fairly recently. Well, they also redid the way we were. No, they redid they did the uh, Star, Star is Born, is born yeah. yeah, which was a remake of something in the 50s. I think that's been done like four or five times. Yeah. I read, yeah, yeah. So so maybe that's James Brolin. That's in that commercial with the old dude. <laughs> I think he might have been in a commercial. It's not him, but he kind of looks like you know, all those old dudes could probably pass for each other. I, I might have seen James Brolin on a you know a repeat of of the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, but I I I bet if I looked in his filmography, I doubt it because I didn't see this movie ever. Yeah, uh, Amityville Horror. No, um, Capricorn One. No. Um, we uh, talked about Capricorn One today at work. O.J. Simpson's best movie. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Telly Savalas is in that one too, where he, and he's mad. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I just the uh, the the recording that you had for this episode wasn't the usual one from uh, SiriusXM. Uh, it was recorded from KZQL, the Cool One Hundred Five in Casper, Montana. no casper wyoming casper wyoming yeah yeah snowing and uh they were talking about uh, there were some commercials for halloween stuff and yeah yeah. have you ever been to casper i have not have you Uh, yeah i've been drove through it uh obviously never been i would have been in the wrong state trying to find it (laughs) (laughs) unless there is a casper montana (laughs) anyway all right, uh, so I guess we'll get on with it, right? So uh, now, as Casey would say, on with the countdown. Baby, don't you do it. 
so um, this is uh, Don't Do It by The Band off their album Rock of Ages. So this one peaked at number 34 and Casey said that this song is a cover of a Marvin Gaye hit from 1964 that reached number 24. Um, and that, that was actually uh, another Holland Dozier and Holland written and produced song. And uh, of course, the band was a Canadian and American uh, rock band formed in Toronto, Ontario in 1967. Uh, yeah, famous, you know. It, it's funny, they had very few hits for a group that's considered so influential. But of course, they had uh, Up on Cripple Creek and then The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. That, both of those peaked at number 25 in 1969. And then, of course, The Weight, which is a great song, and that didn't even make the top 40 in the U.S. Uh, it peaked at uh, number 63 in 1968. Uh, are you a fan of the band, though? I think in episode one, I told you how I saw the band. Same time I saw James Brown mm. uh, up at Camp Union. And, you know, I'm a fan. You know, it'll come on... Uh, tracks uh, <clears throat> on Sirius XM and you know they're good yeah I, I really love the Robbie Robertson record that he put out in I think 1989 or 90 and then uh, uh, Rod Stewart redid Broken Arrow later on at, you know from that record and um, of course they were the backup the house band for Bob Dylan for a long time mm. and you know I respect them and then at, at Thanksgiving it's the last waltz, okay? Right. Where Neil Diamond showed up and Van Morrison. Yeah. Staple Sisters, singers, and all that. So so they're they're important. Okay? Yeah. Bang, bang, shoot them up, destiny. Bang, bang, shoot them up, Nielsen Schmielsen. Yeah. Another song from, what's his first name? Uh, AC. <laughs> he's uh, Harry Edward Nielsen, so actually so similar. <laughs> so, so yeah, Spaceman, um, so yeah, written and recorded by Harry Nielsen. This one peaked at number 23. It This one sounded vaguely familiar to me. I, I did not remember it. Yeah, and it was one of uh, three songs that became hits uh, for... Uh, Nielsen in 1973, the other two being Coconut. Which was number 28 eight. on our last episode from episode 13, July 15th, 1972, which was 13 weeks ago. Yeah. Yep. And then Jump Into the Fire, which went to number 27. Yeah. Um, and, and that's when they used to use as bumper music on the Whalers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, his other big hits were Without You, that went to number Oof. one in 1971, and Everybody's Oof. Talking, that went to number six on its it's a nice uh, song. Re release in uh, 1969. Um, and as mentioned before, he passed away, unfortunately, at the young age of uh, 52 in 1994. <laughs> <clears throat> well, Casey talked about this artist and how he was first a television star. He appeared on such shows as Ironsides and uh, Mod, Squad. Ones. Mod Squad. Yeah. <clears throat> I forget what else. Oh, Bonanza, but, Adam 12. Yeah. yeah. 
but he was in his own TV show, show now with Susan Day and ben, Danny Bonaducci. Yeah. Known yeah. as the Partridge Family. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so this is Rock Me Baby by David Cassidy. Casey also said, uh, you know, yeah, he had been a music star and a teen idol, but he was in the process of handing his teen idol crown over to Donnie Osmond. Because he took it from Bobby Sherman. Yeah. <laughs> I, I bet we could do a timeline of, because, you know, later on you'd have Leif Garrett and, and Sean Cassidy. And there must be a timeline when it gets passed off. You know, there's a bayonet. Yeah, yeah, an, an age or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But, um, so who's, the, who's a teen idol now? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah. I couldn't tell you what's on the radio now. Nah, nah. But, um, so this song, Rock Me Baby, was recorded around the same time by the UK group, The Brotherhood of Man, who we've talked about heard before. Them before. Yeah. But they shelved their release when Cassidy had a hit with it. Um, you know, it's funny, this Awu, what does that remind you of? Werewolves of London. Yeah, yeah. And this was before that. Yeah. I didn't remember the song. It's not memorable. Didn't either. Put your animal in jail down south. Alright, let's get this over with. This is Geronimo's Cadillac by Michael Murphy. Yeah. Same is that guy. his real name? Um, it's, that should be a pseudonym. It's uh, Michael Martin Murphy. 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 Okay. <laughs> Michael Martin Murphy. And uh, yeah, best known, of course, for his 1975 number three hit, Wildfire, part of the trifecta of terrible songs. <laughs> yeah. So he's still with us. He's 77. Number 36. Well, we've heard this song before. We've heard Helen Reddy. Helen Reddy was on, um, uh, oh, that was Anne Marie. Yeah. <laughs> you keep getting them mixed up. <laughs> Don't get them mixed up. The bricks you dip in the gold and the gold you dip in the red paint. Yeah. So, He's from uh, Australia. Yeah. And, uh, he said so. Well, Casey, I thought it was funny what he said at the beginning of this. He goes, this was from a movie called Stand Up and Be Counted. And and I'm quoting him. He goes, I guess this was the first woman's lip song to hit the top 40. That's right. <laughs> yeah. He did say that. Yeah. Right after we got the weather report that it was that we had a winter storm watch. Yeah. So. <laughs> and, uh, so this one got to number one. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, big song. And it became her signature song. Um, even though she was regularly on the charts throughout the 70s with uh, two more number one hits, Delta Dawn and Angie Baby. One thing I, I want to mention, there's a Saturday Night Live skit that I'll put a link to in the show notes, and it was called Run, Throw, and Catch Like a Girl. And Howard Cosell was hosting Saturday Night Live, and it was like they had this like Olympics-type thing with guys trying to do sports like women. But at the end, these women fly over in like a, a B-17 bomber and on the side of the bomber it says the Helen Reddy and they drop like a nuclear bomb on the competition. Yeah. Alright, so I wrote down Lobo slash Poco. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. So and this is Lobo. This is that guy again, right? 
we yeah. had on last. Did we have him on last week? Uh, he was on last week. Or no, yeah. we had. Or we had. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So this is a Roland Kent Lavoy. Uh, last week he was on with "Where Were You When I Was Falling in Love?" That was at number thirty-one. Right, and that was from nineteen seventy-nine. Right. Yeah. So, so, so he had a long career. I don't uh, know if he wrote these songs. Yeah, I, don't know. I, I looked it up. I mean, this guy had eight top forty hits in the seventies. I do remember this one too. I, I remember it also, and you know. <clears throat> when I hear this on the radio, I do this. This is a beautiful Sunday by... Daniel Boone. Who's from England, you know. A, a man, a big man. But uh, yeah, that's off his uh, album Beautiful Sunday uh, from 1972. So this one got to number 15. This guy's real name is Peter Green, but not to be confused not that with, Peter Green. with Max Peter Green. Yeah. Um, and in the early and mid 60s, he played with London based. Tommy Bruce's band uh, called The Beachcombers and then The Bruisers. But this song, Beautiful Sunday, remains the best-selling single by a foreign artist in Japan. Wow. Amazing, yeah. And uh, Boone had uh, no more chart entries in the UK and US, but continued his career as a songwriter. And in 1992, he co-wrote two songs for the Trogs Athens Andover album. And uh, he's still with us. He's 80 years old. So as you're looking on uh, Channel 18, here's my CD copy of NRBQ, At Some My Band from 2002, and track eight is Beautiful Sunday. Ah. So that's how I got into this song, was through this NRBQ record. Right? Okay. And um, I think, you know what I should have done? I should have played that instead of this yeah because it's a lot better but yeah. then again yeah he he did write it the time seems to fly is this guy like an actor too um no are you thinking of you're not taking a Ted Neely from yes, I am. Superstar. Yeah, that's what I yeah. thought too. So it's a, no, this is Sam Neely. And the song is uh, Loving You Just Crossed My Mind. This one peaked at number 29. And I, to me, it sounds like it's like trying to copy Cat Stevens sort of, <laughs> you know, that, that kind of uh, approach to a song. But uh, yeah, he was an American and country uh, folk music musician, singer, and songwriter. And um, he scored a string of minor hits in the 70s on the country and pop charts and uh, released a few albums which saw sales success. And then he uh, moved back to Corpus Christi, Texas, and then he became a house musician for uh, Electric Eel, um, which I wasn't familiar with, but I think they're somewhat important. And uh, he made a comeback on MCA Records, but sadly on July 19th, uh, 2006, he collapsed and died uh, while mowing his lawn at his home in Corpus Christi, and he was 57. 
Ooh. Yikes, so Pete, be careful when you're out there mowing your lawn. Wow. <laughs> who, who cuts a lawn in Texas in July? Yeah, yeah, maybe that was part then of again, the problem. Corpus Christi's on the coast, you know, they'd probably get more rain, and, you know, but yeah. it's not like it's not like San Antonio or Dallas or yeah, Austin. <laughs> oh, finally a good song. Mm-hmm. We that was we were in the desert right there. Yeah. Although we've almost been in the desert until now. <laughs> it's kind of time to tell you the truth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in case he was saying there were uh, like six new songs, he, he went through them at some point in time, if I remember. And I think we just heard them all. Yeah. So this is uh, our friends, the Spinners. Uh, I'll be around off their album the spinners in 1972 this one got to number three and this week it's number one on the soul chart um this well this song has been uh uh liberally sampled uh in the uh hip-hop uh rap world the spinners had you know 12 top 40 hits in the 70s including these big and frankly great songs it's a shame went to number 14 in 1970 could it be could it be i'm falling in love went to number four in 1972 really good one of a kind love affair went to number 11 in 1973 then came you with dion warwick which we talked about top 10 yep in 1974 games people play number five and top 11 (laughs) or top five (laughs) the rubber band man number two in 1976 Yep. And working my way back to you, number two oh. in 1979, and many more top 40 hits. They're um, great. And per Cashbox, they are the 27th best-selling group of the 1970s, right behind the Rolling Stones and just ahead of the Commodores. So there you go. Big, big band, good band. I had a hard time listening to this. Yeah. I had a real hard time listening to this song. So this is Joe Cocker. He's, uh, you know, he's great doing covers and he, you know, he's, he's important. Mm-hmm. But this is uh, Midnight Rider, which is what the Allman Brothers band? Yeah. Okay. And so he's covering the Allman Brothers band, Midnight Rider. And this is, this is terminally annoying. It's um, it's been Joe Cockerized, right? Yeah. Um, so the, um, yeah. So the Almond Brothers version was off their second studio album, uh, Idlewild South, and it was primarily written by Greg Almond. The original version never charted, but the song later became a hit for four other artists. Um, and uh, this is my first listen to this version. But yeah, it's it you know it's up tempo, but yeah, I, I don't particularly like it either. It, it's funny the music in the background kind of reminds me of uh, the Almon Brothers Southbound, you know the tempo of it. What it reminds me is a chase music from a '70s movie. <laughs> All right, so so and then it was letter time. Ah. Uh, all right. It was letter time, and and Casey, Casey uh, the the he read the letter, and it was something to the effect of, "What state had the most songs about it in it?" Ah, uh, right. yeah, yeah. All right. And so he went on to say, "Well, 
<laughs> it's not the Atlantic Ocean. It's not the, the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. So what's left? <laughs> the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. So this is terrible, Casey. So that leaves you with Oregon, Washington, and California. And then he says, it's California with 15 songs. Too many to list. Thank you for the letter. Yeah. And then I'm yelling at the freaking thing. All right. Because maybe he's too old. Okay. Uh -huh. To remember that Alaska and Hawaii were states in 1972. Oh, oh wow. All right. Yeah. I, I was like livid with Casey. All right. Because he should have said the Arctic Ocean. All right. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. So I got a, I got a beef with with casey on that what what's what's your take on that oh uh, yeah you know you know i didn't think about that but you're absolutely right but i i had a little bit of a beef like you know you go through all that and then oh there's too many to list or something like could you just have given us like a few number ones or something california dreaming yeah <laughs> i could just sit around making music all <laughs> hotel california no <laughs> that hadn't been done yet so i did not remember this song except i was very happy to hear from casey that it was written by our old friend mac davis and remember with colonel tom parker he says i just want to write songs and colonel tom parker says or his friend said when the when the colonel's going to make you a star you listen to him right right yeah so this is uh, i believe in music and um yeah, so this, yeah, as you said, was written by our friend Mac Davis, and uh, he told a story about it. He said he happened to be in England, don't you know, uh, doing a television special for the BBC, and they put him in, they put him on Lulu's television show, and she was married to Maurice Gibb at the time, which... That was a surprise to me. Of course, you don't even know who she was. But uh, right. but they had a rap party afterwards, and they asked Mac Davis if he wanted to join them in a seance. <laughs> and he goes, this was back in 1970 or 71. And I said, no. And they said, don't you believe in the occult? And he said, no, I believe in music. And then he went back to the hotel, and he wrote this song. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty funny, yeah. That's great. This uh gallery uh song it got to number 22 and they were a soft rock band from detroit and uh they were most famous for their uh 1972 hit single nice to be with you which went to number oh, sure. four in early 73 and uh or that was their uh, third and last uh, top 40 hit. And, uh, yeah, they uh disbanded in 1974 Yeah, you heard it. This is Thunder and Lightning by Shy Coltrane. So, I, had you ever heard of her, Pete? I I know this song, but I didn't know who Shy was. But I think this is a really, really good song. 
Yeah, well, what's interesting is, so here's one of these artists that, that I always say, it's like, you know, I don't, I know nothing about music because I think she's considered a very important artist. So this one peaked at number 17 and uh, she began as a performer in Chicago and she made her overseas debut when she started as a guest star of the uh, U.S. International Rock Festival for 50,000 people in Rio de Janeiro. She returned to the U.S. where she, uh, uh, Clive Davis signed her to CBS Sony and uh, her first hit was uh, in the U.S. And then she made many guest appearances on American Network TV specials uh, and uh, also was on The Tonight Show. And uh, she appeared with big artists, The Who, The Eagles, Stevie Wonder, Rod Stewart during the 70s and 80s. And she was once dubbed the first lady of rock. And in Europe, she was given the title of Queen of Rock, uh, where she was also voted top female artist for two consecutive years and held the number one position in the Music Express popularity poll. And she's gotten many awards and accolades both in the US and abroad. Um, including the European Gold Hammer and Silver Hammer for Top Female Artist. And her 1973 song, Go Like Elijah, was a number one hit in the Netherlands. And she played the Pop Gala Festival there in 73. And it had the bands, like we mentioned before, the Eagles, Stevie Wonder, Ringo Starr, Faces, and Rory Gallagher. <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, she's listed in the European 100 Best Musicians of the Century. And uh, she's still with us. She's 73, so... Well, these folks were on our last countdown with number 33. Last night I didn't get to sleep at all or whatever. Yeah. And I'd like that song. This one here... I'm, I'm less enamored with um, yeah but yes. um, it's the fifth dimension we like them yeah yeah what's her name Craig Mc... uh, <laughs> Marilyn <laughs> McCoo and Billy Davis that's right junior yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah this is if I could reach you and um, yeah this was the song's uh, final top ten in the uh, in the uh, top charts uh, peaked at number ten, mm-hmm. and it was it was yeah preceded like you said with last night I didn't get to sleep at all, which was off the same album, and that one uh, got to number eight in seventy two. This one it did sound familiar enough to me to, to say I remembered it, but yeah, not 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 their best. Yeah, I, I I do remember it, but I I do like a lot of the other fifth dimension stuff, of course, Maryland's Billy's uh, other stuff. Yeah. All right. This band was on our countdown last time with number 14, Take It Easy, from July 15th, 1972. This is the Eagles. This is Richie Woman. So yeah. Go I, I got a, I got a, I got a bone to pick with this song. All right. Witchy Woman. Mm-hmm. It's an evil woman song, all right? Right. And and I, I came up with three evil woman songs that are named that. ELO, evil woman. Yeah. Spooky Tooth, evil woman. All okay. Right? And Dio Black Sabbath, evil woman. And it's right. such a trope, 
okay? Yeah. And then why don't you throw gypsies in it too while you're at it? Yeah. Okay? This, come on. Green-eyed lady. Um, well, black, mm-hmm. black, 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 what's, what's the share song? Well, that's Dark Lady. Dark Those Lady, are different yeah. Because yeah. she's doing it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but these other ones are just like, ugh. Do you yeah. have anything else? Do you have a bone uh, to pick? I mean, I, I, I have some stuff on this. Uh, the only thing that's sort of interesting is supposedly the song's lyrics uh, were developed by Henley when he had the flu and a high fever, and he was reading a book about Zelda Fitzgerald, the wife of uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and that's sort of what he based this on, and also perhaps some other women he knew. that he, At the time, he was dating someone that was uh, said she practiced white witchcraft. Um, but anyway. Zelda. Do you know anyone named Zelda? I do not, although there was a, a, a woman, I don't know if you knew her, because uh, she transferred from our Farmington plant up to Windsor Locks, uh, Darla, uh, Darla C, but uh, she used to be nicknamed Zelda back then. I think it was after the video game, though. <laughs> oh, and then there's my wife's great aunt, Eldora. Oh, similar to Endora. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can see clearly now the rain is gone. <laughs> is this appropriate after the Eagles song for you? <laughs> I like Johnny Nash. Yeah. I mean, so, this yeah. is a breath of fresh air. Yeah. So this is I Can See Clearly Now. Um, and uh, yeah, Johnny Nash, this one got to number one. It's not a song about suicide, as some people have hypothesized. It's a song about uh, hope and courage for uh, individuals who have uh, had some adversity in their lives. And uh, I would have never thought it was about suicide. Nah, me either. I have to overcome it. Um, so this is touted as the first reggae song that hit number one on the pop chart. And it stayed uh, here for four weeks in late 72. and. The next reggae-ish uh, reggae songs to hit the top spot were um, Eric Clapton's cover of uh, I Shot the Shearer. Which was reggae. Yeah, in 1974. And then The Tide is High by Blondie in 1981. Do, um, do I hear an accordion in the background, or is that just like a keyboard pretending to be an accordion? I, I believe it. Man, I, I don't know. It sounds like a real accordion to me, but not sure. Well, you would know because of your Polish background, and I would because of my Bavarian background. Right, and and I also two of my friends play the accordion, the, the great Santucci, yeah. and also my friends the big that I, that I talked about in the beginning. Uh, but um, oh, go ahead. When we cleaned out my mother's house, there were ten accordions. Oh, did your so father I have play? One, oh, I have your one mom played, house. right? And my dad. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Bob Marley, before he became famous, was an assistant producer and session player on this album, which is titled I Can See Clearly. And he also wrote three of the songs on it, including Stir It Up, which became Nash's next and final hit, going to number 12. And um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, Johnny Nash is no longer with us. He passed away in 2020 at the age of 80. So, good long life. Western Union. Telegram for Bell Hardy. Sign here, please. Hey, Tim. This is from Barbara. Oh, what is she talking about, man? So, are these guys doing, as I said earlier, 
yeah. Are they doing stretch and zong or stretch time right now? Is this spoken singing or spoken voice? Ah, I don't know. And, and like, it's the stuff that like William Shatner did and uh, Kelly Savalas. Is that Spreken? <laughs> Whatever. Spreskazan. <laughs> That's spoken singing. Okay. Maybe you should put in the show notes the link to Spreskazan. Yeah, I will do that. So this is us starting all over again by Mel and Tim. And this one peaked at number 19. And Mel and Tim are cousins Mel Harden and Tim McPherson. So another family band. Ooh, I got to put them on the list. Yeah. So they started writing songs when they were teenagers growing up in Mississippi. Uh, some of their songs got the attention of Gene Chandler, who signed them to his no- newly formed Bamboo label. And Chandler wanted them to sing songs they wrote, and they quickly scored two hits for the label. Backfield in Motion, which was number 10 in 1969, and Good Guys Only Win in the Movies, which uh, went to number 45 in 1970. But the label ran into problems, so Mel and Tim waited out their contract and then signed with Stax Records in 1972. And they released this one as their first single. And it was um, an apt title since they were rebooting their career. Uh, But it would be their last hit. I do remember this one, though. So where were they based out of? I want to put it in a spreadsheet. Since before your sun burned hot in space and before your race was born, I have awaited a question. Um, They grew up in Mississippi. All we need is uh, the guy from the Mamas and the Papas, Mississippi. These folks were at number two last time we were here in 1972 with uh, Too Late to Turn Back Now. Yeah. Yeah. So this is another family band, the Cornelius Brothers and Sister Rose. Um, so this is Don't and they're Ever... in our, they're in my list. Yeah. Yeah. So this is, yeah, Don't Ever Be Lonely, parentheses, eight. Uh, a poor little fool like me, close parentheses. This one got to number 23. And um, yeah, the the siblings, Carter Cornelius, Eddie Cornelius, and Rose Cornelius, and they were joined by their sister, Billy Joe, in 1972. Um, yeah, as we said, they've been been here before with Treat Her Like a Lady, and uh, Too Late to Turn Back Now, um, two big previous hits, and they would have one more top 40 hit with uh, I'm Never Gonna Be Alone Anymore, which got to number 37 in 1972. Um, interesting, they, the group disbanded in 76 when Carter joined a uh, black Hebrew sect. And then Eddie, he became a born again Christian and later an ordained pastor. And he continued to sing and produce and write music. And he released a memoir titled it's not too late to turn back now, which, uh, and in parentheses, back to the open arms of God. And, well, hopefully they were able to hang out at Thanksgiving without a lot of problems. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they both kind of found religion in, in, yep. in sort of different ways. This is a nice song. Yeah. 
All right, we are talking Roman numerals today uh, because in a test procedure that was written by Ed M, who's no longer with us, he had all the test steps as like step five and then I, 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 V, V, and, and John H was like, Oh my gosh, this is maddening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is, uh, yeah, Saturday in the Park by Chicago off of Chicago V. Um, <laughs> so this went to number three, and uh, Casey said it had been around for 10 weeks now. And uh, yeah, Robert Lamb wrote this after he, uh, he visited uh, Central Park in New York on, the Ju on July 4th. And uh, yeah, he said he based the melody of this song off You Won't See Me by the Beatles. And he openly admitted oh, sure. that. Yeah, yeah, I hear it. Yeah. yeah. And um, so this was their biggest chart hit to this point. Um, and also their first gold single, which at the time meant selling more than a million copies. Amazingly, 25 or 6 to 4 somehow was never certified gold. But. Um, so this song contains some of the most famous nonsense singing in rock. Uh, after Robert Lamb sings the line, singing Italian songs, he sings some made up words uh, approximating the Italian language. Uh, so so speaking of the, the whole numbers things too, uh, our friend Mike T texted me last night a picture of an album and it, it's, it's like a billboard being painted partially with Oh yeah, Chicago, yeah. and he says, "I don't know which one this is." I goes, "I think it's the greatest hit." It's the greatest hits record. Yeah, and I looked yeah. it up, and I go, "Oh yeah, also known as Chicago XI." <laughs> so. No, that's yeah, that's in the collection. Yeah, I, I think I have that one too, actually, or at least in CD form. So big song. I, I like this song though. I like it when it's played on the Fourth of July too. Number two, two. He's doing a countdown. Yeah. And this is the Doobie Brothers, authors of Roback Water. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this is uh, Listen to the Music. What a great song. Yeah, great song. So this one got to number 11. It was the Doobie Brothers' first hit. And uh, it was written by lead vocalist Tom Johnston at the time, who also played guitar on the track. And he wrote many of the classic Doobie Brothers songs, including uh, China Grove and uh, Long Train Running. But this was the only time he produced a guitar riff that... That one. He, yep. He said when he produced it, he knew it would be a hit. And he said it was all based around the... the or the song was uh, based around this somewhat utopian view of the world. The idea that music would lift man up to a higher plane and that music would just make everything better. Um, the chorus of the song has been used many times for radio jingles, and the song itself was covered by Sonny and Cher and the Isley Brothers, and it was used in the films uh, Bottle Shock, 
riding in cars with boys, Joe Dirt, and the uh, animated movie Sing. I've only seen Joe Dirt. I, I actually saw Bottle Shock. It's about wine, and because my uh, uh, brother-in-law is really into wine, they kind of made us watch it. <laughs> it was all right. <laughs> So did Michael Jackson have to pay royalties to the Three Dog Night when he did Black and White? Whenever he put that record out. Ah, uh, yeah, I don't know. Did he actually cover this song? No, he wrote his own one. Yeah, yeah, Ebony and Ivory, right? <laughs> 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 he translated it, yeah. No, no, there was Ebony and Ivory, and then there was his Black and White song. Ah, okay. Like early 90s. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that actually. <laughs> yeah. So this is the Three Dog Night Black and White and Big Faller. Last week it was number eight, and now it's number twenty-one. Yeah. So this one got to number one. Uh, this was actually written by an influential American folk singer named Earl Robinson, and he wrote this in 1954 with uh, lyricist David Arkin who's the father of actor Alan Arkin. So he has songs about racism and um, it was inspired by the US Supreme Court ruling on that uh, segregation in public schools was illegal. And so, you, okay, yeah. I got a question for you. Yeah. What's black and white and red all over? I know, I know, a thousand questions. I don't know. <laughs> a newspaper. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I don't remember that joke. I, I do remember that. I, isn't there several punchlines to that one though? No, I don't. A skunk in a blender or something. Uh, I yeah. just want... yeah. <laughs> So, a, a personal note. This song right here is one of four songs that my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Aaron's, had us sing in class. Two others were Una Paloma Blanca and then right back where we started from, you know, the, the uh, Maxine Nightingale song. And the, the fourth one is coming up in our countdown. So we'll talk about Ooh. that. This is Arlo, city of New Orleans. And he's on a train. Yeah. And he's heading to the city of New Orleans. Yeah, this is Arlo Guthrie uh, off his album Hobo's Lullaby. And ironically enough, this is that number four song that we sang in the sixth grade. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. which is kind of interesting. And, and this one uh, got to number four. It's uh, written by Steve Goodman, uh, and he first recorded it on his uh, self-titled 1971 album. And yeah, this describes a train ride between Chicago and New Orleans on the uh, Illinois Central Railroad city of New Orleans. Um, and I guess uh, while at a quiet bar in Chicago, Goodman saw Arvo Guthrie and asked via if he could play the song for him. And Guthrie kind of said, yeah, okay, fine. But on the condition that Goodman had to buy him a beer. And so Guthrie listened to him play the song and then he uh, liked it well enough that uh, he recorded it and then it became uh, Guthrie's only top 40 hit and one of only two he would have in the um, top 100. 
the other one was his uh, a severely shortened and rearranged version of uh, Alice's Restaurant. And Which is another was, thing you'll hear at Thanksgiving, like <clears throat> The Last Waltz. Right, yeah. And that one hit uh, number 97. Um, in New Zealand, this song... What, the Pickle song didn't make it? <laughs> I don't think so. You know the Pickle song, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in New Zealand, this song, City of New Orleans, spent two weeks at number one and uh, charting throughout the winter in 1973. And uh, Arlo Guthrie's song, Massachusetts, was named the official folk song of that state. Um, which... You know, one thing is, is I probably had opportunity to see Arlo Guthrie, mm -hmm. and I'm kicking myself for never seeing him because he's retired now. Yeah. Yep. He's still with us. He's 75. And yeah, he's in that uh, New England Music Museum. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, because of the, yeah, from the whole Massachusetts yeah. thing. Yep. Yeah, Stockbridge, and yeah, and I think he lives in Washington, Massachusetts. Yep. <laughs> Who weighs 162 pounds, according to Casey? Yeah. So, so this is uh, James Brown. Get on the good foot. Cool. Um, so, so yeah, Casey talked about how uh, James Brown at this time claimed that he lost a literal ton in body weight over 1972 because he would lose an average of seven pounds a show and he performed an estimated 335 days in 72. And yeah, Casey said here he's weighing in at 162 pounds. <laughs> kind of reminded me of uh, your father tracking his weight. <laughs> well, like I said, I think in episode one or whatever it was, you know, when I saw James Brown, he moved. He moved. Yeah. And he yeah. moved better than, well, let's see, he was probably younger than Casey, but Casey moved pretty good too. Yeah. Uh, during the, during the, we'll, we'll have to go on the disco cruise together and see Casey. <laughs> All right. right? Yeah. This is a great song. I mean, James Brown, what are you, you, you going to yeah. say? Yeah, this one, uh, it peaked up one more notch to uh, number 18, and it was a number one hit on the R&B chart. I really like the bass in this one. So it's interesting, partially due to the unwillingness of Brown's record labels to certify sales of his previous hits, um, this song was his first gold record. Um, and uh, Billboard ranked this as the number 99th song of 1972. Good drums, too. I mean, the backing on this is great. from that to this is is like you know taking a bottle of quaaludes um do quaaludes bring you up or bring you down i don't know <laughs> i think they bring you up <laughs> no that's that's speed is yeah. speed equal to quaaludes i i don't know well I, I i need to watch more of like i don't know maybe the mod squad or something <laughs> yeah this is uh denny o'keefe uh, good time for Charlie's Got His Blues, and uh, this is on Signpost Records. And this actually went up from last week, from 23 to 18. I did not buy this record, and no one in my house bought this record. 
Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, this this one peaked at number nine, um, and this was uh, his only hit. But he's also known for writing the song The Road, which was recorded by Jackson Brown on his uh, 1977 album Running on Empty. So he, he was a songwriter as well. The Road. I, I know that record. Running on Empty is a great record. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I hum, hum a few a, lines. Uh, I don't know it either. Uh, it doesn't ring a bell with me. Because that was that was a great, you know, I listened to that record a lot 40 years ago. Because mm. it was really, really good. Yeah, it is. I just don't, uh, I, unless unless I just can't put the title with the song. Well, there was that song, Rolling Out of Portland, Maine on 295. I don't know. That was, maybe that's the road song. Were they actually recorded in a tour bus? Mm, okay, maybe. Yeah. And then it, it bridges right into stay and whatever. This is, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Another odd transition. <laughs> well, that's a great thing about the 70s. Yeah. As you say in the introduction, the most interesting decade in music. Yeah. And, and going from that to this, from James Brown, City of New Orleans, uh, it, it was we weren't programmed like we are programmed now where you get your news from places you want to hear and the music that you want to hear and it's um, become very it, no, no one talks about hey I remember when Mork and Mindy came out and I was in you know like the 7th or 8th grade everyone was talking about the next day and I felt so out of it because we didn't watch TV on Tuesday nights or whenever that was uh-huh. and everyone was going nanu nanu and stuff like that I, and I you know, it's it's like me talking with folks nowadays about something that, that I know and they look at me like I got 10 heads yeah yeah to tell the truth <laughs> <laughs> well the real what you call it stand up yeah uh, anyhow this is uh, Freddy's Dead uh, parentheses the theme from Superfly by Curtis Mayfield and uh, so this single was released before the Superfly album and before the film was in theaters uh, and uh, this song peaked at number four and it, it laments the death of Fat Freddy a character in the film was run over by a car Ooh. and uh, so the song Freddy's Dead appears in the film only in an instrumental arrangement without any lyrics. But because of this usage, the song was subtitled the theme from Superfly on its single release, but not on the album. Um, and it should not be confused with Superfly, a different song in the second single released from the Superfly album. So this song was nominated for a Grammy Award in the category of Best R&B and Blues Song, but it lost to Papa Was a Rolling Stone by the Temptations. I'll put a link to the trailer to Superfly in the show notes, which I think I had that link before. But uh... so this is the gentleman that's taking the Teen Idol scepter away from <laughs> uh, David Cassidy, yeah, who took it away from Bobby Sherman. This is our good friend Donny Osmond, and this is Why slash Lonely Boy. I don't remember this song. Um, yeah. This had to be a cover of something because didn't didn't the, the his record company say do all these covers? 
Yeah, yep, yes. It, it was originally a hit song recorded by Frankie Avalon in 1959. Another teen idol. Yeah. So did Bobby Sherman rip it away from him? Uh, I don't know. No, nah, there had to be some somebody in between. In yeah, yeah. But uh, this, so Frankie Avalon's version reached number one in 1959. And this one was written and produced by Avalon's manager and record producer, Robert Bob Marcucci and uh, Peter DeAngelis. So this Donny Osmond version peaked at number 13. He had a bigger hit in 72 with Puppy Love that went to number three. So Donny is 64. He's uh, not quite yet old enough for Medicare, but just about there. <laughs> He's going to have to start listening to J.J. Um, Walker and William Shatner. Yeah, and, and Joe, uh, Namath. Joe Namath. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Leon Russell type wrote number uh, number 15. Did he write this song? Yeah, he did. You know, you forget. This is another person that's like real important to music. Oh, without a doubt. But not, a, not necessarily a household name. So this is, uh, you know, I think you may not like this because of its uh, <laughs> association with the carnival or circus perhaps but uh i I hear the calliope in the background yeah and it it was off his uh the the album title was carney that was the lead track and this one got to number 11 and so the the b-side of the 45 for this song was the song masquerade which he also wrote which became a top 10 hit for George, George Benson. Benson. And also the Carpenters did that one. So this guy, yeah, he has a long and distinguished musical career. I'll, I'll put a link to his Wikipedia page. But I think Leon Russell was also the band director for Joe Cocker with the Madman and Englishman, you know, a tour done in 1970. Yeah. He's very important. Oh yeah. So Mad, Mad Dog's an Englishman, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. so to, to kind of list of like his contribution to music and the no, there's 20... too many because there's more than 15 in case he didn't do that before well i'm just the gonna list, almost over with some numbers 408 albums 251 total artist credits and 37 At types of artistic credits did you ever have u300 blow up on a on a universal board sounds familiar but u300 <laughs> What is it? It's something that does the arbitration uh, between yeah. DT and BI. Possibly. Is that what that that uh, thing was on the uh, yeah. one you were trying to figure out? Ah, yeah. okay. Did you speak to the sky to figure that out? Uh, I called <laughs> up Rick Springfield. I didn't re- realize Rick Springfield was around in 1972 because he became Jesse's girl, right? Yeah, yeah. And then I, he was on uh, the Young and the or the Guiding Light or the General Hospital. General Hospital, I thought. Yeah. 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 And I think he was in touring recently too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is "Speak to the Sky" by Rick Springfield. His real name is uh, Richard Lewis Springthorpe. Casey said this is a song by a young singer-songwriter from Australia. Don't you? Know? Don't you know? Yeah. <laughs> So he said uh, he first spoke the lyric to the song when his father was uh, uh, critically ill and it was a prayer. 
And then his father got better, and uh, Rick turned this into a hit song. Peaked right here at number 14. I, listening to this, it's hard to believe this is the same guy that did Jesse's Girl. Yeah. That went to number one. And, uh, it sounds like the, there's a tuba in this also. Yeah, yeah, like a, a Oktoberfest band. A little oompa going on. Yeah. So this one's sort of... You know, it is Rocktober. It is Rocktober, yeah. And, and I forgot last month to wish you a happy September. Ah, yeah. So this song sort of has a mix of early Beatles, bluegrass, and gospel kind of sound to it. Uh, and uh, so it was arranged by Del Newman uh, and produced by Robbie Porter, who produced a lot of big artists in the 70s. This was Rick's only hit in the 70s. And besides Jesse Girl, Jesse's Girl, he also had Don't Talk to Strangers, which oh, yeah. went to number two in 1982. And, and yeah, he could still be touring. He's still with us at uh, 73. This is Rod, not Rod Evans, Rod Stewart. Right. And this is a uh, big song for him, You Wear It Well. Is What, what LP is this off of? This is off Never a Dull Moment, 1972. And this one, yeah, peaked right here at number 13. It was written as a collaboration between Rod and Martin Quittenton. I think that's the way you pronounce it. And, uh, he was uh, he was in Steam Hammer. So there's you a lot. Anyone named Rod or Rodney? You know, there's Rodney Dangerfield, which is a fake made-up name. You know, Rod. You mean personally? Personally, I can't think of anybody. Yeah, yeah me neither. Yeah. But. Um, so this song, there's a line in it that says, uh, Madame Onassis has got nothing on you. And of course, that's a reference to Jackie Kennedy, um, mm -hmm. who was Jackie Kennedy Onassis at the time. And so along with this song, other charting singles from this album included a cover of Jimi Hendrix's song, Angel, and What Made Milwaukee Famous. <laughs> Schlitz did. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Ronnie Wood from The Faces and later The Rolling Stones played guitar on this track. They were both in The Faces. Big record. To a garden party To reminisce with my old friend Alright, I think you have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about Ricky Nelson and Stone, Psych Stone Canyon something others. This is The Garden Party. Yeah, I know the story because I've read about it. Yeah, yeah, so have I. So yeah, this uh, this song um, "Garden Party" was uh, written and produced by Rick Nelson. Uh, used to be called Ricky Nelson before this. From Ozzy and Harriet. Yeah, and this one. His kids were his kids were Nielsen. Nielsen. Nelson. Yeah. You know, yeah. The MTV days. Yeah. 
So this one peaked at number six, and uh, it's about uh, a concert on October 15th, 1971, that uh, Rick played the Rock and Roll Spectacular show with 1950s stars Bo Diddley and Chuck Berry and Bobby Rydell at Madison Square Garden in New York. And, um, you know, the crowd was expecting him to play his hits when he was a teen idol back in the the 50s uh, and he did open up with Bebop Baby but then he uh, did a few more of his hits and he was getting you know, big applause and then he started playing new material including some of his uh, country rock uh, songs like a cover of Honky Tonk Woman and um, he got booed and that, that, that upset him and so he kind of cut his set short and then he ended up writing this song about that. Um, and there's a lot of uh, you know interesting lyrics in this. There's a line. He's taking names in this. Right. That's what he's doing. Yeah. As, as the coach for the New York Jets was, I'm taking receipts. Yeah. Did he hear about that guy? <laughs> yeah. But there's a line, Mr. Hughes hidden Dylan's shoes and is wearing his disguise. And that's a reference to George Harrison, because Harrison used to use that alias. Uh, Harrison was friends with Nelson, and he was uh, planning an album Bob Dylan covers, but that project never came to fruition. And there's a couple other lines. I think you can hear him. He talks about Johnny B. Good, so he's referring to uh, Chuck Berry. And then he talks about saying hello to Mary Lou, she belongs to me. And when I sang a song about a honky-tonk, it was, I knew it was time to leave. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so Garden Party was uh, his first U.S. Top 40 hit after being a teen idol, and unfortunately, it was his, his last. He had and, a bad ending. Yeah, he, he died in a plane crash in 1985 at the age of 45. So, and also, I talked about uh, on our the Deep Purple uh, podcast Discord how putting a Richie Blackmore, Deep Purple's Black Knight, has a riff that he took from uh, Ricky Nelson's Summertime. And it, <laughs> absolutely, I mean, they sound exactly the same. <laughs> she was morning and I... We spoke about Neil Diamond, excuse me, earlier, because he was uh, in The Last Waltz. Mm-hmm. And he had number four last time with uh, Song Sun Blue. And this is Play Me, and I'm done. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'll just mention that Casey said Neil Diamond to date has 27 hit records and a couple of number ones, Cracklin' Rosie and Song Sung Blue. And this one peaked right here at number 11. Can you can you sing along with us? <laughs> there's there's no lyrics. So. Oh my goodness! This is the only instrumental this week, I believe. Casey told yeah, us. Yes, he did. So this is Popcorn by Hot Butter. This one uh, it, it got up one more notch to number nine, and Hot Butter was the alias of American keyboard virtuoso Stan Free. And he had been a member of the pioneering Moog synthesizer ensemble and the first Moog 
or excuse me, the first loop quartet. And uh, during their 1969 tour of the United States, they had used popcorn as an encore and they remember the crowd loving it. And so they released it as a single and it became a worldwide hit peaking at number five. It was one of the first pop hits to be entirely played by synthesizer. And wow. uh, the song was written now by- Now everything's done by synthesizer. Yeah, yeah. The song was written by German performer Dershon Kingsley, who was the, the leader of the first move quartet and or Moog quartet. I guess to be correct. No, uh, yeah. uh, the, and the first person to use the Moog synthesizer in live performances. And uh, he said he was glad he was born in Germany and partook of German culture because whether you're talking about Beethoven or Wagner, it's unique in the history of humankind. And popcorn is a classic melody that could easily be incorporated into a Bach piece. Ah, Bach. <laughs> They said it took him five minutes to write, but he could never do it again. <laughs> so uh, uh, another personal note, I know uh, uh, this woman uh, a few years ago, her father passed away and she was talking to me about after he passed away, they were playing some of his favorite music. And this song was one of his favorites. And like three days later, I heard it on Sirius XM. Uh, so perhaps that was a message of some type, <laughs> if you believe in that sort of thing. I know Matt Davis doesn't. So what I, what I just realized, Mark, yes. is that this countdown was 50 years ago this time. Oh, wow. Yikes. All right. And wow. Um, and I remember, well, they, a lot of the stuff they, they keep on playing, but, uh, you know, go back 50 years before this and it was 1922. <laughs> and no one would have thought of a Moog synthesizer. No, no. You're, you're, or even talking movies. No, you're or even getting, the radio. Yeah, I guess you could get out your Victrola at that time. No? Yeah. I don't know. There it is, the Backstabbers, and this is the OJs off the album titled Backstabbers. Um, so this one went to number three. Uh, the OJs were formed in 1958, named after Cleveland DJ Eddie OJ. There were originally six guys in the group, but uh, by this time they were a trio consisting of Eddie Levert, uh, Walter Lee Williams, and William Powell. And this was their first top 40 hit. Now we talked about in a previous episode how this song was written by McFadden and Whitehead when they worked in the stock room of the Philly International uh, record label. And uh, Leon Huff was also uh, got uh, writing credits on this one. And uh, this song was inspired by problems Whitehead faced with his family and friends at the time. And he talked about how it's it's kind of elaborately produced. And um, he said, because at this time, uh, stereo radio was, uh, you know, first becoming like really popular and they needed to kind of fill up that space. 
Um, so this song directly quotes the undisputed the uh, the song by the undisputed truth, smiling faces sometimes, which uh, has a similar theme. And uh, so the OJ's had some great hit songs in the 70s, uh, including the number one love train in 1973, For the Love of Money, which went to number nine in 74. I Love Music went to number five in 1975. Used to be My Girl, number four in 78. And uh, I used this on my third compilation CD, lamenting the decision to close our Farmington plant. Farmington Blues III, <laughs> which also had the Smiling Faces song on it. <laughs> so. so I'm going to put a link to the version of Backstabbers that was done on the uh, Live from Daryl's House episode. Oh, that was beautiful. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, that, that whole episode was great. It, it has something like Seven million views on YouTube, and and their version of that uh, with Daryl Hall is great as well. Yeah. And Daryl Hall's from Philadelphia, so he, it's, yeah, it's not like he's a foreigner, yeah. right? Coming, you're a carpetbagger or whatever he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> but this is uh, the Moody Blues Nights in White Satin. You'll still hear this on classic uh, radio, and it says the the label here is Durham, D E R A M. And I always thought that the Moody Blues were on Threshold Records. Um, yeah. Maybe of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. I don't, I don't know. I don't remember. But this is, you know, this is the song. And Yeah. Know. It was actually done in um, a lot earlier than it was released as a single because of its, its length that they didn't think it would make, on, make it on radio. But uh, this was their biggest uh, hit. Um, Previously, they had a Go Now from 1965. And, uh, yeah. So, <clears throat> should we do what uh, uh, Watermark Productions did? Should we skip this so next song? Give, uh, give the give the radio stations the ability to not play it. <laughs> I don't know. You're you're in control of the music censorship, so I'll leave it up to you. Okay, well, you know what? We'll play a little bit because of our alma mater. Yeah. We got to do our alma mater. We must do our alma mater. When I was a little bitty boy. Okay, this is Chuck Berry doing my dingling, which is part of our title of this week's episode, which yeah. is Baby Don't Get Hooked on My Dingling. Yeah. <laughs> so this was amazingly uh, Chuck Berry's biggest hit in 14 years and it's a novelty song written and recorded by Dave Bartholomew and uh, yeah of course Chuck Berry covered it here in 1972 um, it became his only number one pop hit um, in the United States and um, even though a lot of radio stations never played it yeah. and, and, and Watermark Productions gave the stations the ability not to be <laughs> not to include it yeah yeah and i mean it's it's a song that's basically a double entendre for johnson um yeah <laughs> not much else to say so well i'll tell you i'll, I'll tell the story in the next uh, next thing here as we move forward so um what i found to be intriguing with this uh 
episode from um, 105.5 Cool 105 in Casper, Wyoming. And the this production is they stuffed a couple other songs in during the countdown. Yeah, um, with a with a DJ over voicing stuff. Did you hear all that stuff? I did. Yeah, yeah. It confused me a little bit when I was trying to skip around. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it was almost like you know they were putting in their own uh, top forty extras. <laughs> yeah, it was like here's a here's a top forty extra. So <clears throat> maybe they didn't have. Uh, enough commercials. It, it was just weird. I mean, you could always talk about the the Winter Storm watch in Casper instead of, uh, of of playing those things. And of course, this is Mac Davis, "Baby, Baby, Don't Get Hooked on Me," yeah. or "Baby, Don't Get Hooked on Me," which is the other part of our title uh, of this song. And, and we like Mac, yeah. our, our colleague, your former colleague, Jim S. Yeah, asked asked us about Mac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this one, um, it got to number one, and uh, so Mac Davis's producer Rick Hall asked him to write a quote hook song. And Davis took it literally, coming up with the line "Baby, don't get hooked on me" and the melody to go along with it. Hall loved it, so Davis finished writing the song that night and recorded it with Hall the next day. So Mac Davis performed this on The Muppet Show when he was a guest star in 1980. And he was lowered into an aquarium scene on a fishing on a fish hook, where he sings it to a mermaid played by Miss Piggy, of course. <laughs> um, you know that that Muppet Show was. I, I watched it, you know, forty years ago, and it was written so well. I yeah, think that adults could also watch it and and appreciate it, especially with the. Because I didn't know who Mac Davis was, or George Burns, or Milton Berle, or whoever else they had on. Yeah, yeah, um, at yeah. the time. Yeah, but I have never. Do you watch any reruns at all? I I haven't, and but the, you know, like reading stuff like this, it's like I should. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. I get a kick out of it. What's the difference between a raspberry and a Bronx cheer? <laughs> I don't know. Should we ask Archie Bunker? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a raspberry? Uh, I thought they were the same. No? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I just thought about that when yeah. I, I, I saw the artist. This is the raspberries. Go all the way. This is a nice song. I, I, I like this song. Um, and uh, they still played on the radio. Um, yeah. That's all about all I know about it. Yeah, so the, the Raspberries lead singer and bass player Eric Carmen wrote this Ooh, song. we know who he is. Yeah, yeah. Yep. He went on to fame as a solo artist with uh, Hungry Eyes and All By Myself. Uh, this one got to number three. This song is actually about a woman trying to convince a guy to go all the way, meaning to get it yeah. on with him. Yeah. <laughs> Carmen said uh, that he was inspired by the Rolling Stones' performance of uh, Let's Spend the Night Together uh, when Mick Jagger had to sing Let's Spend Some Time Together instead. I think that was on Ed Sullivan. That was the only Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. MeTV on Sunday nights, they have the Ed Sullivan show at a half hour slot. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking about um, DVRing it and then the Carol Burnett shows right after it. Yeah. So. It's funny, part of this song sounds a little bit like Wings to me. 
But I, I agree, I though. I, I like this song. This so, is better than The Wings. Come on. Yeah. This is not Mary Had a Little Lamb. No. So my brother used to sing an alternate lyric to this, which my wife Gail thought was hilarious. I would always repeat it, and uh, but I can't tell you about it while we're recording. I'll tell you offline. <laughs> okay. The King. Um, Elvis Presley. No, it's Elvis P. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Burning love off of uh, the essential Elvis Presley. Um, so this one got to number two, and it was uh, Elvis's biggest hit since Suspicious Minds in 1969. So uh, I, I did some research on this because I can remember, and I thought it was uh, Dread Zeppelin did Burning Log. <laughs> All right, okay. and I could not find Burning Log on the internet, so I might, you know, this, you know, this is from the early '80s, mid '80s, where I heard Burning Log, and I saw the 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 cover of the 45, and there's Elvis, you know, in Vegas with his Elvis uniform, you know, the not the one that they made the stamp on, and so I have in the postcard collection the Elvis Presley postcard where you could check off Young Elvis or Big Fat Elvis. Okay. All right, because my mother never sent it in, uh, but it's in the collection someplace. Oh. <laughs> remember that? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Now that you mention it, that's funny. So, I, in researching this song, I found this story, and it said in 2005, an Australian woman uh, who evidently was not a fan of this song stabbed her uh, partner in the back, thigh, and shoulder with a pair of scissors because he quote played this song too many times. <laughs> did did you hear the story about someone that attacked his roommate because he kept on playing the Eagles all the time? Uh, <laughs> was that your roommate? <laughs> no, no, no blood on these hands. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't, but if you I could find... You gotta find that and put, put that in the show. I, I will, I want to find that now. Okay. Okay, so your heart broke. All right. So, you sit around is this <laughs> I'd say so. I gotta learn how to pronounce that well. well so, so we can... I, I actually went on the internet and I put it in the pronunciation thing. Uh -huh. And I wrote it down phonetically. Spreskinzang. Uh -huh. Those of you watching on channel 18, you can see it right there. Oh, yeah. 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 Good for you. <laughs> I like this song. This is this you'll still hear on, um, you know, the, the, the oldie station or 70s on 7. Yeah. The main ingredient, everyone plays the fool. So yeah. the thing is, would this be a yacht rock song? Because one of the criteria is it has the word fool in it, according ah. to the, um, the, uh, Yacht Rock guys. It's too early for Yacht Rock, but it has a yeah. term cool. So uh, Casey talked about how one of the guys in this band, which is a three-man singing group, is the grandson of the former president of Panama, Domingo Erosamania, and the guy's name is Tony Sylvester. This was the group's first hit and the group's highest charting single, peaking right here at number three. 
sounds sort of like Smokey Robinson and the Miracles to me. This song was nominated for a Grammy Award for Best R&B Song at, of uh, 1973, but it was uh, it lost to uh, Papa Was a Rolling Stone. This group had a few other top 40 hits, uh, Just Don't Want to Be Lonely, went to number 10 in 74, and Happiness is Just Around the Bend. Uh, that was number 35 and also in 74. Use Me by Bill Withers off his album Still Bill. Uh, Who had the number one song in our last 1972 look-see back in July mm -hmm. and with Lean On Me. Yeah. So this one peaked right here at number two. And um, so this song could be used as like the woman's positive response to Baby Don't Get Hooked On Me. <laughs> it's like, go ahead and use me up. <laughs> But uh, yeah, Still Bill was uh, Wither's second album, and it yeah also included the, the hit we just mentioned, Lean On Me. Um, and uh, the band for the album was keyboardist Ray Jackson and bassist Melvin Dunlop and guitarist uh, Benorce Blackman. Um, and uh, Withers told Mojo Magazine that they rehearsed this in the drummer Jimmy uh, Godson's garage. And then they cut the whole Still Bill album in eight hours for $7,500. He said he loved the band. According to Gadsden, he played the groove for about five minutes before Withers came up with the song. And the song has appeared in movies, uh, Anchorman, Starsky and Hutch, American Beauty, and Any Given Sunday. And I think we talked about uh, Bill passed away in 2020 at the age of 81. So this is one of the few countdowns that we've done, you know, where we repeat after nine or 10 or 11 weeks. We have nothing uh, in this countdown from, uh, no, no repeat songs. Right. From, uh, from that previous countdown 13 weeks ago. 13 weeks, well, that's, that's a quarter of a year. Yeah. So if, if I do my math right, but of course we did have uh, six repeat artists mm. that we've mentioned already. So uh, number one on the soul chart this week is uh, I'll Be Around. Uh, number one on the easy listening chart is The Garden Party. And the number one country song was Funny Face. I did not get the number one LP out of Casey. I don't know if you did. Uh, no, I didn't. Go look it up in Billboard magazine, folks. Yeah. <laughs> So this is uh, Ben by Michael Jackson. Uh, As Casey said. Yeah. Um, it's a song about a rat. 
and uh, off the album Ben. And so we actually talked about this one just last week. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. last week from 1979, where Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, I think, was in our countdown. Right, right. Uh, so, yeah, so this um, it's sort of, you know, sounds like a tender ballad, but um, yeah, the, the 1972 movie, Ben, um, it was a sequel to a movie called Willard. What and, you talking about, Willard? Yeah. And, Ben is a pet rat trained by a human named Willard who has learned how to make rats do his bidding. And Willard has the rats kill people for him. But then at the end of the movie, they turn against them. And in the sequel, Ben, a young boy befriends the rat, but the rat turns evil and recruits other rats to attack humans. (laughs) So I'm gonna put a link in the show notes. There was a Saturday Night Live takeoff on the Mickey Mouse Club called the Ricky Rat Rat Tears, and uh, in the beginning they're sounding off their names, and they, they, they come out with their names on the shirt like the Musketeers, and it's Willard, Ben, Sleazeball, Annette. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Oh. Well, number one song. Yeah, I would if this came on the AM radio in my car, I would. I would turn to the traffic report. Yeah, yeah, me too. So this week, Capitol Records had five songs in the countdown. Last week from 1979, I think they had five or six, but two of them were by The Knack. Yeah. Now it's time to uh, to figure it all out. Yeah, yeah. We're going to do our uh, usual ratings and other things. Yeah, the first one we always do is the song we think will torture the other guy that we call... Your agonizer, please. No, Mr. Slug! Put your in jail downside, <laughs> where look, Geronimo's Cadillac. I'd love to own a Cadillac. Like a big, long one from the 70s with a, like Boss Hogg used to drive. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe not white, okay, but maybe black or red. Yeah. Or or the red, white, and blue one they did for the Bicentennial. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this song is awful. Yeah, I I don't particularly like it. And I hope that I'm agonizing you with it right now. (laughs) Yeah, the the vocal styling is uh, very irritating. (laughs) All right, um, it's not what I picked for you. And I don't know if this one is correct from a musical standpoint, but I just picked it because of your subject matter irritation. And that's number 15, Tightrope. Yeah, circuses, boxing (laughs) rings. Yeah. Um, yeah. This agonizes me for different reasons other than the subject matter because I didn't even know it was a. I thought you know, it's an illusion to be being up there, but yeah. when you hear the calliope like we heard earlier, yeah, yeah, I, I can, <laughs> I can, I can, I can, I can yeah. kind of understand. So I, I was watching a Mannix last night and. He was, here, here it is. <laughs> Let's just let it agonize you. 
but Mannix was at a carnival again, but it was only like for maybe 10 minutes in the beginning of the episode. But he was knocking down the bottles at this guy at this guy's stand while yeah, that, that's what i told you about a couple weeks ago <laughs> yeah right yeah yeah the, the stamp collection thing the stamp collection yeah one. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and tell you that episode kind of agonized me just by itself yeah <laughs> This is the best song in the countdown for me. Number two, Use Me. Okay. And there's two others on the list that I maybe we'll save them for next year when we come around the block in a different week at this point in time if we're doing, still doing the 70s weekly countdown with Mark and Pete. You know, there are 520 weeks in a decade. <laughs> and, you know, we're only halfway into or less than halfway into this. So are we going to do this for 10 years? Uh, I don't know. We'll be, uh, God, we'll be older than Donny Osmond is right now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to go to the 80s. Yeah. So this is a great song. I love this song. Uh, and, really and good I love song. when Mick Jagger did this on one of his LPs, and there's other folks that have, that have covered it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It, it, it is a very good song. Not not my best one of the countdown, but certainly a, a runner-up for sure. All right, so what do you have? So, I don't know if you could predict it or not. I, tried I think I can. Okay. You want to just play it and see if it's the one? Yeah, I'll give it a try. Hopefully, I don't fumble around with a digital mixing board. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. I think it's this. Yes. Uh, I'll cue the Price is Right music right here. Yeah, the back backstabbers number nine. I I think this is like um, what you do hands down the best in the countdown by by a quite quite a bit of a margin for me. I, I love this song. I think I think the the music in the background is fantastic. I think the vocals, the harmonies are great. I, I think it's I think it's one of the you know best songs of the seven. This is yeah. really good. I, I, I would totally agree. So we go from the best, and we'll go to the worst. My alma mater. All right, what's yours? Uh, well, cue the music again, because that's my worst one of the countdown, too. <laughs> you know, am I a hypocrite because I, I've been known with the double entendre humor and, and this and that, but I just, I, I don't know. You know, some of these novelty songs too, I think no business being in the countdown. You know, Dr. Demento, fine, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean Chuck Berry, a lot more talent than this. Well, you know what? I hope he made. Well, he didn't write it, so the other guy made all the money. Mm. So, anyhow, my guilty pleasure was the first one done on the Moog synthesizer. 
Ah. Yeah. And the reason that this is there is this is a Bob Steele song. <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So maybe that's why uh, the, the woman I know, uh, her father really liked it too. Did she grow up in this area or did, was he from this area? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, so, yeah. you know, this and two buffaloes and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're Bob Steele songs. But, uh, until you said it, it didn't, it didn't dawn on me. But yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> we'll uh, we'll have to figure out what your guilty pleasure. Yeah, is. this this one will probably surprise you. It, it, it even surprised you, woman. No. <laughs> um, but it kind of surprised me. I, I didn't think in a million years I would uh, pick this artist. But I picked number 38, Rock Me Baby by David Cassidy. <laughs> but, but there's like a gasp out there in podcast land. Um, I don't know. I just, uh, it, it, I'm listening to it. And I'm like, this is actually pretty good, you know? Oops. Oh, no, definitely not that one. <laughs> Did you I pick the wrong you number? Said, yeah, you picked the wrong number. Oh, I'm sorry. Error. Law. Imperfection. Must. Sterilize. I don't know. Maybe it's the, you know, Werewolves of London <laughs> part of it or what. But yeah. That, that's, you know, to tell you the truth, that's an obscure guilty pleasure. Right? Yeah. And yeah. I'll give you uh, kudos I, for. The, the thing of it is, it's like, don't remember this song ever hearing it or whatever, but it was like, oh, you know, I listened to it and I'm like, David Cassidy? Yeah. This isn't too bad. And maybe he was passing the baton at that point. So he's, you know, getting a little more mature. I don't know. Well, it's right before he did the David Cassidy mysteries. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a few years later. <laughs> Story song of the week. Oh, man. Cue up that music again. Yeah, that's the one I picked, too. Um, I, the only other one would have been Garden Party. Yeah. That, uh, and, I, you know, I wouldn't pick it because because it's uh, not a good remake. Also, Midnight Rider is a story song, but uh, I wouldn't pick it just because if, if the Allman Brothers had done it, yeah. You know, but I, I wouldn't pick it with uh, Joe Cocker. So, Yep. But yeah, this one definitely, A City in New Orleans, tells a quite a picturesque story. Well, <clears throat> I'm going to give you the most divergent songs. And the first one is this one at number 36. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and getting interesting. And it's, it's juxtaposed with. You know, one is about, you know, women's liberation and screw you, I'm a woman, I'm going to do what I want. 
Yeah. And the other one is about, like I talked about when we did this song, it's a trope that I think is over, overused. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Good point. So this, this is interesting because, so uh, I also had uh, number 36, I Am Woman, <laughs> as one of the Divergent songs. Um, but I have a different one that it's uh, Divergent from. So uh, I had it diverge from number six, Baby Don't Get Hooked on Me. And um, similar sort of reasoning, uh, you know, I Am Woman is, you know, all about, you know, being a strong woman and, you know, making up your own mind and this and that. And uh, I remember my wife, Gail, hating this Matt Davis song because she thought it was just so sort of egotistical and kind of, she thought it was demeaning to women. <laughs> mm -hmm. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, um, if you belong to now, you probably liked uh, I Am Woman and didn't like Baby Don't Get Hooked on Me. So. <laughs> yeah. So I, is this the first time we've actually picked the same, at least one of the two songs as a divergent? I, I don't recall. Yeah, I might have to play half the uh, Price is Right theme. Or <laughs> yeah, or maybe when it goes... Bum, bum. Oh, I have that as well, yeah. Well, as we wrap it up, because um, this is a great song too, um, what's your good foot ranking of this episode? Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I did my you know ratings and I had... Uh, 21 good songs, 16 neutral, 3 bad, and 0 sap. I gave it a B, kind of teetering on B minus. Um, and the reason for that is just that um, two of the songs I rated bad are in the top 10. So, um, you know, that happens sometimes. Um, but yeah, there you go. Uh, a, a B. Okay. All right. <laughs> because. Uh... I gave it a B minus, okay. and uh, I almost was going to go C plus. Really? All right. Um, you know, of course, I do everything by my gut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But your your gut is usually comes close to my, uh, you know, more scientific analysis. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no sap. You don't think baby, baby, don't get hooked on me is in sap? Well, now, I, again, maybe I should publish my definition of sap, but it, what that, it, it's... It, there's no self-loathing, like you right. talked about. Yeah. Self-loathing and self-pity. It's got to have that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, what about number 24? Well, it's just the title. Don't don't ever be lonely. A poor little fool like me. Yeah. Know? So there's a little self-loathing, but yeah. But the song one, is is pretty good. Yeah, it's kind of you know again that's sort of upbeat. So yeah. Yeah. No, nah, no, nah, I saw no sap. I, it seems like we only hit the sap like right in that you know, middle seventies. Yeah. So, I'm sure there's some stuff we'll hit, but yeah. All right, Mark. Well, this is. As always, a lot of fun, and it, it was interesting to hear the, the local news in Casper, Wyoming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
and uh, I hope hopefully they were able to dig out of that that snowstorm. Yeah. And uh, you know, I have a good weekend. Yeah. You too, and, sir. And best to everyone out there in podcast land. And thank you for everyone that's listening. Um, yeah. We appreciate it, and uh, it's uh, it's been a trip. Yeah. All right, sir. So, as uh, Casey might say, keep an eye on the microwave so you don't burn the popcorn. And keep the podcast machine right where it's tuned.